Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I have two kids. Um, They're 17 and 14 now, but I remember the days when they were learning to walk. And as most kids who learn to walk, they learn to crawl first. And so they were crawling and then they start pulling up. You know what I'm talking about? They go crawl over to the ottoman or to the couch and they start fighting to stand up and they get all proud of themselves because now they're standing up and they're holding on. And and then what do you do as parents, as you begin to teach them to walk, you start getting involved. And so, you know, you may be standing there and have their favorite toy and you're like, come on, you know, and, and maybe, you know, mom and dad in between them, you know, they're trying to get their child to take one step. And, and then what happens? They, they finally reach for that toy. They take one step and then they realize, oh no, I'm by myself. I'm on my own. And then they just sit down, right? Um, and we cheer. Yay! He took a step. That is amazing. Good job. And, um, and, but you know what we didn't do? We didn't say, I can't believe you fell. What are you thinking? Get it together. Take some steps here. No, we didn't say that. They, then we'd say, all right, let's try it again. And they take two steps and they take three steps and then they take four steps. And the entire time we're cheering them on, we're loving them, we're encouraging them. You know, when we surrender our lives to Jesus and make Jesus the boss of our lives, we have to remind ourselves that we are simply people who are learning to walk in his ways. And there's going to be times when we, in our times of learning, we, we may stumble and fall. Then after we've learned to walk, there are still times when we fall. You know, just as adults, you ever fallen as an adult? <laughs> That's a completely different experience, right? Um, <laughs> you do a full systems check, you know, it's, um, I have bad ankles and playing basketball for years and my, my, the, the threat for me to fall every time is on the sidewalk, right on the edge of the sidewalk and where the dirt or the grass meets the sidewalk and it's just a little bit off. Man, I am a threat to just take my ankle and just roll it right there. Um, and then you fall on the ground and when you do, you're like, okay, um, are my ribs okay? Do I have a concussion? Am I bleeding anywhere? Um, you go through this whole, this whole thing when you fall as an adult. But as Jesus followers who've been walking for a while, even as Jesus followers who are experienced and veteran over years of Jesus followers, there are still times we stumble and we fall and we struggle with sin. And as we continue our series and walk this way, these are important things for us to realize. We need to realize that if you're a new Jesus follower, As you learn to walk in his ways, you will stumble and fall frequently. If you're a veteran Jesus follower, there are still times that you will stumble and fall, just hopefully maybe not as frequently. 
And if you're not a Jesus follower at all today, you've been around Jesus followers more than likely when they've fallen. And you hope that that particular fall that you witnessed was out of character for them. You say, Jeff, why in the world are you opening with something like this? Because today we're going to see what it looks like to walk in his ways. And we're going to be looking at walking in love as a Jesus follower. And we're, we want to make sure for those of you who are Jesus followers today, we don't want the struggle of sin to cause you to doubt that you are a beloved child of God. We want you to be challenged by what Paul says, but not to doubt. Pastor Vance quoted this several, a couple months ago, several months ago, he said this, a godly walk does not mean the absence of sin. A godly walk means experiencing victory in the presence of a very real struggle. You can't call yourself godly and be like, yeah, I never struggle with sin. Not on this earth. It's not going to happen. We're all going to struggle with sin. If you're a Jesus follower, you're going to struggle with sin. If you're not a Jesus follower, realize Jesus followers don't have it all together. We're all struggling with sin here. But in our struggle with sin, we can have victory over that sin in our relationship with Jesus. So we're going to look at some sins today, and you're going to begin to think to yourself, oh, no, I struggle with that one. Or, well, this one's a tough one, Jeff. I can't believe you said that. I don't want, I don't, I, you know I struggle with that one and all these things. And we're going to look, though, at the difference between the struggle of sin and the characterization of sin. And for those who are not a Jesus follower today, you're going to see that God is so loving that he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sins, for my sins, for our sins, so that you may have a relationship with God today. And that he's so loving, he cares so much about Jesus followers that he leaves his word, the Bible, to help us to be able to walk freely in a relationship with him. So as we move into our text, Ephesians chapter 5, 2 through 5, we're going to be looking at some things. Now, just a reminder of some of the things that Vance talked about last week. He first told us in Ephesians chapter 5 that there are 15 commands just in the first 20 verses of Ephesians chapter 5. And we don't need to be thinking negatively about God's commands. God's not giving us these commands to rob us of our joy or rob us of our excitement in life. God gives us these commands because he loves us. And we've heard Pastor Vance say this many times. When God says, don't do this, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. And when God says, do this, he's saying, help yourself. So God in his love is giving us these commands. With that, Pastor Vance wanted to remind us last week that God's commands are not given for us to earn eternal life. His commands are given so that we can enjoy the eternal life we've been given. Not given to us to earn eternal life, but given for us to enjoy eternal life that he's given us. And then Pastor Vance covered the first command in Ephesians chapter 5 when he said, 
verse one, therefore, Paul says to the Ephesians church, be imitators of God as beloved children. And Pastor Van said that to be an imitator of God is to allow the reality of who God is and how he relates to us to dominate every aspect of our lives. So Paul here helps us. He helps us to be imitators of God by giving us the rest of the verses in Ephesians chapter 5. Those, he gives us three things to walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom. Today, we're going to look at the first part, walking in love. That's in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Let's look at verse 2 when Paul says this to the Ephesians church. Verse 2, and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Amen? This is how incredible God is, that God loves us so much that he gave us a model of what love looks like. The first command right from the start in our text is this, to walk in love. The word walk here means to live one's life or how we behave. We are commanded here to walk in love. To put it into context, if you want to be imitators of God, you must walk in love. But what does that look like? God gives us a model. That model is Jesus. Uh-oh. I remember last week we already talked about this, but it is impossible for us as dust to imitate God. The only way we can do such a thing as a Jesus follower, the only way we can imitate God is by surrendering our lives to the leading of the Holy Spirit in a close relationship with God. Same principle applies here. Yes, Jesus' love is the model of how we should all walk in love. And this can be done, but it can't be done perfectly this side of heaven. We're going to fall on that. But it can be done. But only through the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we stay in a close relationship with God. So let's look, let's break this down. How does or how did, how does Jesus continue to love us he says this, Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love, listen to this first part, just as Christ also loved you. What does it look like to walk in love? It's unconditional. The word love to just as Christ loved you, the word love there is the word agape. And many of you have heard this before. Many of you have heard that the New Testament uses three main words for the word love. Phileo, which is a friendship kind of love. Eros, which is a romantic relationship kind of love. And agape, which is a loving willfully, on purpose, unconditional kind of love. Pastor Van said it last week, God can never love you more or less than he loves you right now. Why? Because God is not a God who puts conditions on how he loves. He is unconditional. And that's incredibly hard for our feeble minds and hearts to understand. Our nature is not wired this way. God has to command us to love. Why? He doesn't have to command us to hate. He doesn't have to command us to lie or to cheat. He doesn't have to command us to do those things because that's not, those things are all part of our nature. 
But to love is something that goes against our nature, especially an unconditional love. John MacArthur says this, God's love and all love that is like his loves for the sake of giving, not getting. With conditional love, if the conditions are not met, there is no obligation to love. So God's nature is to love us unconditionally, a love that is always giving. It's in our nature to love others conditionally, a love that at its very best is expecting just as much in return as we are giving. So it's in our nature to do that. So it's unconditional. What does it look like to walk in love? It's unconditional. Number two, it's by choice. See this in Ephesians 5, 2. And to walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. The word gave here is a word that means to hand over, to deliver up, to give up. The picture here is Jesus willfully enduring the beatings before the cross, willfully crawling onto the cross, willfully enduring the nailing of his hands and his feet to the cross. Jesus enduring all of that willfully for you and for me. He willingly gave, knowing that not all would return their love back to him. Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus paid the penalty for every person on the planet. And as we enter into a relationship with God by surrendering our lives to him because of his sacrificial payment that he willingly gave, there are millions and millions and millions of people that have died or will die and never giving their lives receiving that love. But Jesus did it anyway. Knowing that that love may not be reciprocated back, he did it anyway. So why would Jesus do this? Because he willingly chose to love you and to love me willingly gave his life as a sacrifice, which leads to the third thing. What does it look like to walk in love? It's unconditional. It's by choice. It's sacrificial. Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Paul here speaking speaking mainly to Gentiles in the church in Ephesus, but there were definitely some Jews there that would have found much more meaning in this phrase than their Gentile counterparts. For the Jews in the church, they, they would have heard this last phrase, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, and they would immediately thought back to their Jewish upbringing. In fact, the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament law Um, that all the Jews followed was full of ways that God was telling them to sacrifice things to pay for sins they had committed. In fact, Leviticus even communicates to the Jews that God was pleased when his people were honest and open, confessing their sins and offering sacrifices to seek to pay for the sins they had committed. The Jews in the church would have picked up on this language immediately. But for most of the church at Ephesus, and to be honest, for most of us in this room, we simply stand in wonder at the sacrifice Jesus made for us. 
offering his body up to die as a penalty and sacrifice for our sins. This is a self-sacrificing kind of love. And although we may be never, never asked to have this kind of self-sacrifice kind of love, where we would die for God or to die for someone, the model of Jesus' self-sacrifice is shown as a way that we must walk in love. So what do we do with that? Like, how do we figure that out? What, how do we respond to this? Well, the first thing we have to do is respond to this kind of love. You have to understand that, that God first loved you. We see that in 1 John chapter 4. It says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we can use the word implied there first. Not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. God first loved us and our response is simple. It's difficult, but it's simple to love him back by surrendering our whole lives to God. We see in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is the sacrificial love that we make back to God to surrender our lives to him, to say, I love you too. Here's my life. You love me first. I love you too. Here is my life. Jesus talks about the importance of expressing our love back to God in Matthew chapter 22. In verse 36, one of the Pharisees says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus here wants us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And to also love our neighbors as ourselves. Here's the thing. The way we love God and others is critical to how we can walk in love. But you know what? People make it hard to do this. I mean, God, it's awesome. You give us all these things. You give us so much. You blow us away. Okay, I can give love back to that. But you want me to what? L love others? My, past, my mentor in ministry, a pastor, a pastor for over 30 years, he said this to me. He said, Jeff, pastoring a church would be really easy if it wasn't for the people. hard. People don't give a lot back to us to help us love them. There are people in our lives that we kind of deem just unlovable. It's a reality. It's there. It's true. And the only way that Jesus followers can ever love one another 
is when we first enter into a right relationship with God, understanding all the love that he's given to us and growing more and more and more and the understanding of his great love for us so that then we can take that love and then offer and extend it to others. So how can I walk in love? I can love unconditionally, not expecting anything in return. This is best illustrated for a lot of us as a parent. If you have children, I mean, I've been in ministry a little over 25 years. And if you, I've seen it. <laughs> children put parents through the ringer. And that's saying it very nicely. But here's the crazy thing. You still love them. You even give them the benefit of the doubt. You're like, they're like, mom, dad, I'm going to make this decision. And you're going, that is a terrible decision. And they're going to make it. And then you go, well, maybe, maybe it's not a bad decision. And then they make it and it's terrible. And you knew it was going to be terrible. And you give them the benefit of the doubt. Yet still, your children put you through the ringer. Yet you never cease loving them. That is the unconditional love. There are no conditions you expect back from your child for you to love them. That's unconditional love. I can love by choice, choosing to love when I don't feel like it. Here's something. My wife taught me this a few, several years ago now. She told me one day, she said, you know, Jeff, I don't always feel like loving you. I'm an emotional feeler kind of personality. And so like that just rocked me a little bit. Like I, I don't think there's ever been a time where I didn't feel that love and that kind of warmth with my wife. I mean, it's just, I don't know why, but that's just kind of how I am. And, and she's very stoic and, and not feely. And so, um, <laughs> and so she's like, there are times I just don't feel like loving you. Hurt the heart, guys. But then she said, but every single day I choose to love you. And that really is love. That is the biblical picture of love. That is Jesus' model of love. He chose to love us. He chose to take the cross for us. And so how can I walk in love? I can love, it un I can love unconditionally and I can choose to love others. Lastly, by being sacrificial, giving love rather than always receiving. And I'm not gonna go really into an illustration there because the rest of the text that we're gonna talk about today is all about what not to do and what not to do is constantly receiving. Just a little commercial for you, all right? So the first command we see to walk in love is something we should do, or in other words, God's saying to us, do this and you will help yourself. If you will walk in this kind of love, it is really gonna help you and help the others around you. And it's true, right? Like you've got people in your life like, man, that person, like they, they're not, 
they're not always pointing a finger. They're not always about them. I mean, they are, they love and they love, they choose to love. And I'm not very lovable and they're choosing to love me. And you think, man, that's incredible. And those people affect you. That's what he's talking about. This will help you. If you decide I'm going to walk in love to my brothers and sisters in Christ, to my family members, to my neighbors, to the people I come in contact with, I'm gonna choose to walk in love. This will help you. Now the next command revolves around things we should not do as we walk. Or in other words, God's saying to us, do these and you're going to hurt yourself. Do these, and not only are you going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt other people you come into contact with. It addresses the question, what is the opposite of walking in love? Well, see, the, the, the really, the opposite is really kind of best answered in one word. It's, it's selfish. Or it's answered in one phrase, worshiping yourself over God. Clyde Cranford said this, selfishness is the essence of sin. Every sin is an expression of selfishness. So let's look at the rest of our verses today. I know all of you are thrilled. You know, you're like, yes, let's look at that. Awesome, Jeff. Um, but let's look at it. Verse three, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And reading these verses, we can definitely see there are many things that God does not want us to do because he doesn't want us to hurt ourselves or others. Many of you see this little short list of sins here and you're thinking, yep. Testimony right here. I have hurt others by doing some of these things. Or... Others have hurt me when some of these things have been directed towards me. The command here is an interesting one. You would think Paul would just simply say, don't do these sins and be done. But he doesn't. The command here is this. These sins must not even be named among you. The command is be named, must not even be named among you. So Jeff, what does that mean? Well, this speaks of what others are calling you or think your character traits or actions are. Another way to understand this is that no one should be able to say these things about you by the way you live your life. If you're a Jesus follower, people shouldn't identify you by these sins. Your actions reveal your character. Participating in immorality, impurity, greed says this. It says, I'm loving me more than I love others because I see others through the lens of how they can meet my needs. So if your actions are immorality, 
That's sex outside of the biblical definition of marriage. You're searching for that other person to meet your needs, not caring about marriage and the covenant of marriage and what God says about that. But no, you're just going out searching to meet your needs. If you're known by these actions, this reveals your character. Or if your actions are impurity, which is a constant state of moral corruption, constantly looking at how you can bend a rule, break the rule, stretch a rule, just try to do anything you can to, to, to break through certain things. You may be stealing this because it costs too much anyway. And so I deserve this. I own this. I earn this. And you, you, it's all about you and it's all about your needs. Or if you're greedy, in this verse's context, constant coveting or desiring situations that lead to impure, immoral pleasure. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's prostitution, maybe it's strip clubs, maybe it's whatever it is when it comes to immoral pleasure. If these actions reveal your character, the command here is these sinful actions should not even be named about you because you're a Jesus follower. And these sins say about you that you are all about seeing how other people can meet your needs. And that is the opposite of walking in love. Then he lists another set of sins in verse 4. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. This set of sins continues on with previous. They should not, we should not, as Jesus follower, allow these sins to be named as part of who we are. Filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting says this about us. I'm loving me more than I love God because I see uh, situations through the lens of how this can all be about me. So if your actions are filthiness, which is shameful, obscene conduct and talk, you're saying to these people, you're saying these obscene things and you're creating some attention to yourself so that everybody in the room is looking at you. Or your actions are silly talk, which is foolish talking aimed at nonsense about yourself or others. You're making up stories. You're one-upping somebody. You're doing everything you can to diminish the, the role of people in that room so that you can elevate your role in that room, hoping that the whole room thinks that that room is all about you. Or if your actions are coarse jesting, treating serious issues with a deliberate sense of dishonorable humor. This reveals your character and you're saying, you know what, your situation, although may be serious, I got a joke for that. And I'm going to take the attention off of your serious situation back onto me because this room needs to be all about me. constantly looking for situations that can be all about you. This is not unconditional love. This is not a love by choice. This is not a sacrificial love. And these two groupings of sin, it's how others can meet your needs and how you can create situations that are all about you. And that is the opposite of walking in love. Finally, our third command of the text is in verse 5. 
For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The third command here is simply the phrase, you know. It's an acknowledgement that God wants us to know with certainty one thing. What is that? That no one who has the character, no one who it is, when we look at that person, we look at them and their name We name them and we think immorality. We name them and we think impurity. We name them and we think greedy and covetousness. We name them and we think they worship themselves. They are idolaters. None of those people will inherit eternity with God. Now notice, this is not here to cause you as Jesus followers to doubt that you're a child of God. Simply because you struggle with some of these sins that were listed today. Listen, at one point or another, every Jesus follower has either struggled with this or may even one day struggle with some of these. But remember the quote we started with today that says this, a godly walk doesn't mean the absence of sin. A godly walk means experiencing victory in the presence of a very real struggle. The struggle is real. The struggle is always there. Now, we can experience victory in that struggle. But there's not a person in this planet that could say, I don't struggle with sin. My life is absent of sin. That's a lie. We will all struggle. If you don't, if you are not a Jesus follower in here, you need to know this. There is not a person in this room. There's not a person that claims to be a Jesus follower that is absent of sin. But Jesus... can give us victory in that struggle. So this is not about the absence of sin. This verse, is the heart of this verse is about idolatry. The heart of this verse is about lordship. Who's the boss of your life? It's idolatry of anything like immorality, impurity, greed, filthy talk, coarse jesting, If any of that takes precedent over your relationship with God, that's idolatry. That puts you on your personal altar of worship rather than God. And it's only when we realize that God and God alone needs to be the Lord or boss of our lives that we will begin a relationship with God that gives us the blessing of eternal life. So today... There may be some people in this room that are like, man, I am not a Jesus follower, but I'm hearing about this incredible, extravagant love that God first loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die and pay the penalty for my sin as a sacrifice, that God unconditionally loves me, that God loves me by choice. that God sacrificed his, his son's life for me. And I'm here to tell you that God is passionately pursuing a relationship with you and every person on this planet. And today you can give your life to Jesus. 
The band's going to come up. We're going to sing here in a minute. But today is the day you can do that. We're going to have some pastors up at the front. You can just come down and say, hey, I need to receive that love, that love that we just heard about, that love that was, that was unconditional and, and he chose me and he sacrificed for me. That's me. I need that. So maybe today you need to start your relationship with Jesus. We'd love to help you get started. I think for a lot of us in this room, though, you have a relationship with Jesus. There's been a time when you've said, yes, I make Jesus the boss and Lord of my life. But as we've talked about in this series, it is a daily choice, right? It's so easy to wake up every single morning And they go, you know what? I think I'm going to be my own boss today. It just is. A pastor, mentor, friend of mine said this. He said something that kind of blew my mind. He looked at me one day and he said, Jeff, did you ever realize this? Did you ever realize that God wants to spend time with you every single morning when you wake up more than you'll ever want to spend time with him? I was like, eesh. It's true. And we open our eyes in the morning, God's saying, yeah, you're awake. All right, let's do this. Let's talk. Let me show you some of the word. I want to help you. I want to walk with you. And then when you decide, you know what, not today, God. Not today. I'm going to be the boss of my own life. You know what happens? It's just a train wreck. And the crazy thing is, is it's in those days that people seem a little bit more unlovable. It's in those days that your spouse is a little bit more annoying. Your children are a little bit crazier. It's in those days when you choose to be your own boss that you begin not walking in love. You begin hurting yourself and all those around you. You see, the only way we can do this, the only way that we can walk in love is when every single morning we're saying, all right, God, here's the deal. I need you. I can't love my wife the way I need to love my wife without you, without talking with you, without a relationship with you, without you leading me. God, I can't love my kids the way I need to love my kids without you leading me in that. God, I can't love my coworkers. I can't love my family members. I can't love my neighbors. I can't love the people I run into. I can't love the, pe- the person who cut me off in traffic. I can't love those people unless you lead me to love. And maybe today you're simply realizing, man, it's been a week, it's been a month, it's been months. Since you, choose, since you chose to say, God, today you're the boss of my life, lead me. And you sit there and you wonder, man, why are all my relationships, why are they struggling? Have you made Jesus the boss of your life that day? Have you chosen to walk in love? Have you chosen to extend all the love that he's bestowed upon you to other people? So maybe today, for some of you who are Jesus followers, there's some confession to make. God, I'm sorry 
Maybe you gotta, you're going to have to maybe work out some relationships and say, hey, I, I was choosing me over choosing love, and I, I, I need to confess that to you, maybe to your spouse, maybe to your kids. Maybe there's some of you that need prayer today. Maybe you need to come to the steps. Maybe, maybe some of you need prayer today because there are people in your life that have hurt you because they haven't been walking in love. Some of them don't know Jesus. They don't even know how to walk in love. They don't even know they're supposed to walk in love. So that hurts. But can I tell you this? For me, what hurts more is the people who are supposed to know and they don't. And so maybe some of those kind of people have hurt you and you need some prayer for that. You need some wisdom in that to help to, for God to help you figure out how to restore those relationships and to get those things right. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I didn't even say that last part in the last service. So that must have been for somebody in the room. Amen. So we just want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us and move in whatever way he calls us to move. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the truth of who you are. God, we thank you that you move however you want to move. God, I pray that you would help us to be obedient. You'd help us to know how you want us to respond. If it's simply we stay in our seats and we're praying for, for some, some people in our lives, God, that God, you just lead us to do whatever you want. Holy Spirit, you're so creative. God, we thank you for your creativity and how you just call us. There may be some people that leave this room and make a phone call. I don't, I don't know, God, you're so creative. But God, may we be obedient to the prompting of you in this moment. God, for those who don't have a relationship with you, I pray in this moment, in Jesus' name, God, that they would understand and receive your love today for the very first time. So God, thank you. Please move, God. We need you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.